By the time I went to prison, I had 12 doctors. I would hit two doctors in one day in Orlando Damn. sometime. And I was getting a legal limit out of all of them. Yeah. Every single one of them. That wasn't enough for me. You know, people dying, people getting cut from doctors, people going to the needle, robbing pharmacies. I knew one dude that came over with a five-gallon bucket of Oxycontin. Five gallon, like a fucking Home Depot bucket. Because I couldn't understand how they got so many. And I found out later they were robbing all the pharmacies. Welcome to the Dirtbag Chronicles. My name is Brian and I am your host. Today we have Ginger. Ginger traveled a little bit to get here. Is that right? Yeah. Where'd you travel from? New Orleans. All right. New Orleans. New Orleans is pretty fancy, huh? You yeah. like New Orleans? Yeah. I live uh, on the, the North Shore, so I'm like right outside of New Orleans, okay. but I work in the city a lot. So All right. it, it's got its uh, it's got its cool points. And, yeah. You know. So is that where you want to live or is there somewhere you'd rather move? Uh, I've, eventually I think we'll end up with property back in Destin and then somewhere okay. up the coast, whether it be Oregon or New York area. I'm not really sure yet. Okay. All right. So go ahead and just kind of open up. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know, we've, we've kind of heard a little bit about your story, but I don't think that we've got into the deep and nitty gritty part of that story. Uh, so I'm going to let kind of open up the floor here for you just to kind of start sharing a little bit. And if you want to share uh, in the beginning, kind of like about your childhood, what was childhood like for you? So I grew up in uh, St. Augustine, Florida. I was the youngest of, you know, a family of five. So I had two older brothers. Um, they were six and seven years older than me. So there's a bit of an age gap. Um, my parents were eight years apart. Um my father was a military child, and my grand grandfather was actually shot down on D-Day. He's oh, Army wow. Army Air Corps. Um, he was in like a Romanian prison camp for like nine weeks. Wow. Yeah. Uh, remind me to tell you the story from the the drug story related to that. I've actually never okay. told that. Um. Anyway. Uh. Yeah, my mom, um, really abusive childhood. Um, she grew up like they never lived in the same place for more than a few months. Um, had, she was the oldest of five. Um, they didn't have lights. They didn't have food. Yeah. Like father put them in the hospital. Lots of sexual abuse allegations. Um, things on, that on I've, your parents? Or? Fr from No, from my mother's parents. Okay. To, from my mother's father and the other children, her siblings' father, okay. to the kids. Okay. okay. Um, my mom, like, they married my mom off when she was, like, 14 to some dude that, from what I understand, we've never really had— Here in the United States? Here in the United States. My mom lived in Tennessee for a while, and she was in Florida for a while, and I'm not sure what state she was in yeah. when this happened, but she was, like— my niece's age is like 14 wow. and they married her off to some guy and he like was an alcoholic and beat the shit out of her, took all the money that they had. And she basically left and went and lived with a woman and babysat the woman's kids while the woman worked for room and board. So she had somewhere to be. Wow. And then she shacked up with my dad who was eight years older than her. Um, and that, then here came yeah, you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so yeah. Okay. Um, was there any kind of like uh, traumatic experiences as, for you as a child? 
Yeah, I think we had quite a few. My mom broke her back when I was like two or three. Yeah. So I have a lot of memories of my mom. And like my mom, when she was a kid, she was sprayed with like pesticides and stuff because they worked in the orange groves oh, as wow. like little kids. And that's when they used to just fly over and like would dump stuff yeah. while the people were yeah. outside in the orange fields. So like all of her and her brothers and sisters have like cancers and like tumors, and wow. like all types of stuff that they've had to deal with medically. Yeah. Um, and then my mom broke her back. She had a hysterectomy after me. So she had like a lot of medical stuff going on. Um, so I remember that like that really affected our relationship. I spent a lot of time with my grandmother, which is my father's mother. Mm -hmm. Um, it was very close to her. Um, she was a really amazing human being. Um, you know, I think my parents did the best that they could. I know they both dealt with, um, some trauma and supposedly some sexual, uh, abuse from my dad's was from a child outside of somebody outside of the family and my mom's was within. Oh, wow. Um, do you but, think that ever <clears throat> got turned to you? Did you ever have to go through any of that trauma? Not within my, my family. Yeah. I had a, a situation where I worked with somebody, he was 30 and I was 14 and was like groping basically all of us. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, that was, that was a situation I talked about on Ian Bick where basically that was my first sexual experience was with someone that was 30 years old, was my boss and was supposed to take me home. We ended up at a club. I wanted to go to the club. Yeah. You know what I mean? But when I guess the, the way it correlates to me is when that situation came about and the owner of the store heard about it. He called my parents to like want to smooth it over, I guess, and figure out what they wanted. My mom was like, I just want to go away. And, I, you know, he was like, OK, great. Buried. Yeah. You know. Um, of course he was. <laughs> so, yeah, because it didn't yeah. cost him anything. Yeah. Uh, they moved the guy and then I stayed there and everyone was pissed because the guy, the owner brought his brother in to run the store. And he was not nearly as lax as the other guy because he wasn't doing the things the other guy was doing. Yeah. So it made life difficult a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, something that people had said, well, why not leave? Why should I have to leave? Yeah. I didn't. I felt like I didn't do anything wrong. You know what I mean? So... I don't know. But either way, that was kind of like the way that manifested for me. I know something happened with uh, one of my brothers as well, and they didn't handle it at all. Yeah. Um. So I think, and that's the brother that has the drug problem. I, and has had been in and out of prison. And I yeah. have his two of his four children living with me. My mom had them before me. Wow. You know? Wow. Um. Now, when that happened to you at 14, did that, did that start any, uh, abnormal behavior or so how did that affect you so i already had some some mental health <laughs> issues because i had been called fat by my family from like 10 to probably like 13 so 13 that movie miss congeniality came out yeah. she's like eating celery sticks i was like bro i can do that i don't yeah. like fucking celery so then it turned in i'd skip lunch i'd skip breakfast i'd come home and i'd eat like a bowl of soup or wouldn't eat at all and would like go walk around the neighborhood um you know and i just basically had like anorexia like for food avoidance oh, you know wow. uh, i wasn't calorie counting but i would just decide i wasn't gonna eat anymore you know i never felt hungry either like i don't know it was a weird transition but i i definitely liked the result of not 
eating because I was losing weight. And I liked the result of walking around the neighborhood all the time because I was losing weight and toning up and I wasn't being called, you know, fat anymore. Mm -hmm. So I started smoking pot. Like, so my dad smoked pot. My brother smoked pot with them. They grew pot for a long time. Like really good pot. Yeah. <laughs> That's some of the best pot I'd ever seen in this day. You came from that <laughs> fucking shed, bro. <laughs> um, and it was weird because like, so I think so. a running theme in my family growing up was like, don't tell Ginger. So it became where like because of the age gap and because like I was so I think I was more my grandmother's child in some sense. Mm -hmm. Like my parents were parents. I'm not saying they weren't, but like I spent so much time with her. I picked up a lot of her integrity and like her morals and her values. And yeah. I felt like there wasn't a lot of black there. Like everything's black and white. There's not a lot of gray area. It is. It is or it isn't. Mm -hmm. And I think my my family hid things from me because they felt like I would be judgmental and I wouldn't understand and it would confuse me, which it did. But it confused me more that they lied to me because I mm -hmm. knew like I wasn't I was never stupid. Yeah. So, you know, while they're having drug parties and I'm 12, I'm sitting out playing a Sega. It's like fucking 10 years old already. I know what's going on, bro. Yeah. And the fact that nobody can have an open conversation about it, it kills like me. Yeah. To, like to this day, I'm like, oh, so we're all just going to fucking ignore. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um. So I think that had a long-term effect on me. The um, not being not a part of... But of like, you can't tell me the truth. We can't have a conversation. We can't just address the things or acknowledge. Maybe uh -huh. not even address. Let's just acknowledge that it exists. You don't uh -huh. gaslight me and tell me that I don't see what I see. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So how old were you when those drug parties were going on? You were about the same age that the 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 sexual assault happened? That was before. That was I mean, before. I remember. Okay. Probably eight, nine, ten, you know, going okay. over to my cousin's house and my parents like hanging out in the back till two o'clock in the morning, three o'clock in the morning. And then we going home because we only live two streets over. Yeah. You know? when, and when you say drug parties, you mean like. It, so it wasn't like a party party, but like a, a smaller group of people, like 10 or 15 people or less, yeah. except for the 4th of July. 4th of July was nuts. Yeah. But yeah, getting high. Was it just like casual weed smoking no. and drinking? No. So we're talking about like hardcore yeah, drugs coke and, and coke and all yeah. that other shit. Primarily coke. Okay. I know towards the end, there were, some of the people were on pills. My parents never were. Yeah. But that was left. That was just for me and my brother, yeah. apparently. <laughs> and it was weird too, because like I'd watch my mom get scripts for you know stuff growing up, the lighter weight stuff, and she never. Yeah. Needed to take it. She had a broken back that had multiple surgeries. Yeah. You know? Okay. So that was interesting to me. Okay. So you, <clears throat> how old were you when you started kind of dabbling with the narcotics and the substances? So I would say by 15, I took ecstasy with a friend that I was in school with. Okay. Um, she 15. had the, yeah, she okay. had these rolling, I was smoking pot and she had these rolling parties and everybody else was doing it. And I kind of like wanted to fit in. I was also like the kid, I was an honors kid. I was a drama arts theater kid. Okay. Um, these kids were all different for me. Yeah. They weren't, they didn't excel in school. They weren't, they didn't come to school a lot of times. Right. They, parents weren't 
like there physically and where parents were doing time and had mm-hmm. habits. Whereas like my parents functioned. My mm-hmm. dad always held his business, you know, like there were never times where they never came home or we never had food. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was more of like an emotional <laughs> effect of like my family lies to me because they don't think I'm worth the truth. Yeah. You know what I mean? Or because we can't acknowledge it because we would rather pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. And that's like a current, a current running theme and something I run up against in my family now. Okay. So you just kind of like romanticized that party life and kind of just wanted, uh, did you see like the grass was greener? You, you were, you had these straight A's and, and was really yeah. good student. And then you saw what the other kids were doing. You were like, well, I kind of want to fit in and yeah, be a part yeah. of that, be socially acceptable. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. that's definitely because I didn't really fit in with, a lot of like the rich honors kids because I already had the trauma and the stuff that people couldn't really relate to. I had a brother who was was already, you know, addicted to drugs, was already in and out of prison that people talked about. Like one year I dressed like him with a shirt that said fugitive. You didn't see me in handcuffs because he was on the (laughs) run from the police. So that was my Halloween costume one year (laughs) with like the Jesus sandals. You know what I mean? (laughs) These fucking croc slides. Um, because it bothered me so much because yeah. like I didn't like that people talked about it and made fun of it and it was like a running theme. So then it was like, well, I hang out with the people that don't. And those were all people who, well, I right. relate to that shit because my dad's doing, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think I wanted to be accepted. I definitely changed the way I talked, too, just to be able to fit in. I used shorter words. I used, used cussed a lot more. And that's something I regret to this day because it's so hard to get rid of for me. Like once I picked Absolutely it up, right. bro, yeah. <laughs> those are my favorite weapons. Yeah. 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 It's way easier to say fuck you than it is to come up with some explanation of why you're angry with somebody. Yeah. 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 Or to have to take the moment to tone it down. Right. Because my initial response is to right. just fling daggers and just right. tend to be rational. You know? So would you say that you were an angry teenager yeah it wasn't it didn't come out like most like like other kids it showed more as like i spent a lot of time in my room like writing in a journal and crying and i spent a lot of time like listening to angry music i spent a lot of time away from home um i spent a lot of time angry at my mom um i saw all that with my dad and like Mm -hmm. i think uh it was natural for me to want to be more on my dad's side of things, I think, at the time, because I related to him more. I respected him more. And, like, I think I had watched him tell my mom that she was stupid. He never should have married her my whole life, right? Wow. And my mom has, like, not high education. She's not dumb. She's just not, like— formally educated and like there's some things that like she's not great well with the backstory you gave me i mean right it makes sense right right and was fucking abused horribly by basically everybody around her it's amazing that she has the marbles that she has and she has done as well as she has done yeah um but at the time i didn't see it like that because i was a child and i watched my dad be like narcissistic um and like emotionally verbally abusive to her so i was like well she ruined his life he felt mm-hmm. bad for her you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i watched her too kind of like did this really codependent enmeshment with my brother and like watched him go from being somebody that i felt had a lot of promise that i looked up to to a junkie that was a felon and could not 
move on with his life. Yeah. You know? So yeah. there was a lot of anger there. Where's he at today? Uh, he still lives uh, where my family lives. Um, okay. He's working. He did. He went back, I don't know, a couple of years ago, a few years ago when I got the kids. Yeah. And came out. And he's been able to hold a job and like... I think it's kind of plateaued. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like I offered to send him to treatment uh, multiple times because yeah. um, my connections with intervention. I had um, somebody say, hey, you get him here. We'll take him. It's a long term program. You know, we get you connected with some type of God, some type of program, community. We get you a job. Yeah. You stay here for two years. You leave with cash. We get you set up on insurance and, all. you know, just to, to get a different life somewhere else. And I told him, I know so many people in Destin, bro. I can get yeah. you a job doing anything if you would just go for even six months yeah. and just go to six months and get locked into this community. I can help you. I cannot help you where you are. Um, he didn't want to. Yeah. So he don't call the kids. You know, they don't, yeah. they, I watch the kids, kids struggle a lot because um, my niece is uh, 14, about to be 15. Uh, and then his son is 17. So, and the oldest one is away in college. And like, I've literally watched all of them really struggle because dad just like went from one day being super involved in their lives to like Fucking not there all. at all. Yeah. yeah. And there's no attempt really. Yeah. Um, which is what gets me. How old are those kids now, if you don't mind? Your... That's how old they are now. Okay. They're 17, 14. Oh, wow. And then the oldest one is, uh, I think she's <clears throat> like 20. Are they since. experiencing any kind of uh, problems trying to release that anger or going through addiction or anything like that? So I don't think any of them have any addiction issues. Okay. But I know, um, I know they st all struggle in their own ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I think everybody in the world can has struggles in some kind sure. of way. We all deal with some some type of trauma or, you know, and I was talking with a friend the other day and I was like, I was telling him everybody deals with some kind of trauma. But then he brought up a, a good point. He said, well, what about the people that grew up in a monastery? And right. I was like, well, I'm sure that there's still some kind of trauma. Yeah. You know, we like to judge our trauma saying, well, mine is worse than yours or yours wasn't as bad as mine. But the, mm -hmm. the key to it is like it's all it fucking trauma. Right. It's like it's still affecting our the way that we think about things, the way we react to things and stuff like that. But I'm, it's really nice to hear that, that you have the opportunity now because you came from that dirtbag lifestyle, yeah. switched your life around. And now you're actually able to be there for three kids that uh, where their father is going through the same shit. Yeah. Um, so let's go into a little bit about your dirtbag lifestyle, because I, I do want to touch about touch on that a little bit and kind of paint that picture so that we can kind of go into the transition on how you made it out of that bullshit. Um, so what what was like your uh, what was your addiction like with, with trying to like you were getting high? What, what, was, what was it like for you? So it started out as like pain management. Um I had a heat stroke the summer before I went into my senior year of high school. Um, they, I started having these like nausea fits and these like days where they said that it was like a, a horrible panic attack almost where I felt like I couldn't breathe. Um, 
And I just, my body wasn't operating right. I lost a bunch of weight. Um, parents didn't have insurance. So, like, I ended up doing these hospital rounds where I would get really, really sick. And they would basically wait for me to be so sick that they thought, like, someone was going to CPS yeah. or I was going to die. <laughs> and then they'd take me to the hospital because we didn't want the bill, right? I'm 17. So, they looked, and, like, you know, my birthday's the end of the year. And this is, like, August, September. So, they're kind of trying to ride it out yeah. until I turn 18 because they think the bill's going to be mine. Um but basically, I would cycle in and out of the hospital, and they would give me Dilaudid, or they'd give me, you know, fentanyl or oxys, and they'd keep me for a day or two or three, and they'd find, like, little stuff or, you know, but nothing that would justify, like, what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. um, kept referring me out to doctors, but it was, you know, 200 to 500 bucks to see a specialist, so I never went. So I would be okay for a few weeks and then would cycle back in. Well, it went on for a while and then finally got, was old enough to get a referral from pain management and ended up with a script for, you know, oxys. They said that I had gastroparesis and they said that I had issues with my neck from a car accident that my dad had had where he had basically crashed into a ditch witch. You know what that is? It's like a yeah. big chainsaw that yeah. cuts roots. Yeah. Uh, he crashed his bread truck into a ditch witch when I was like 12 when I developed a stutter step. And they said I had scoliosis and a high hip after that. And I've had like chronic neck issues and back issues. But I don't think realistically you could justify giving somebody the amount of what i was receiving for the yeah. you know what i had and don't get me wrong like i had legitimate pain i think there were other avenues that could have been taken and had had i had the money and the insurance and the push from the mm -hmm. family support to physically go and to mm -hmm. get some other type of care i think it would have mm -hmm. turned out different but i knew that oxys worked um yeah. and that was what they was being pushed at the time, you yeah. know, I just happened to, so this is like 2004. Uh, this is when so this is, and I'm in Florida. Were, yeah. So this is like the oxy epidemic thing yeah. is going on, but it's before everybody realized for before the pharmacies were getting robbed yeah. and before things were going crazy left and right. Like it shit didn't get shut down till like 2011, yeah. 2012 shit started getting shut down over there. Yeah. Um, so with that, that's a good, you know, eight year ride yeah. from the time that it got started for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I uh, woke up on my 18th birthday with my first day of withdrawal. I didn't know what was going on. I thought I had the flu because my birthday is two days after Christmas. So Capricorn gang. Yeah. <laughs> Happy birthday. You too, buddy. Yeah, yeah. Sam yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But uh, so so you you didn't really have any kind of addictive problems when you were smoking weed, you know, taking a little bit of ecstasy when you were like 15, the 16 years old. The ecstasy was a very short lived. It maybe lasted for like a month yeah. or so where like every weekend every other weekend yeah. we go over there and I was like dude this is weird I feel like my brain is just dissolving yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and you know I'm not gonna lie ecstasy feels fucking good like it, it was one of my favorite drugs like I loved MDMA ecstasy all of that shit I loved it I, I mean, remember like chewing on my lip, yeah, like, just, rah, rah. feeling so weird to have logged off, being dehydrated. <laughs> my head be tingling and shit. Like I, I enjoyed it. But you know, now that I look back, I'm like, damn, I enjoyed it way too much. Yeah. Like I was taking it as often as I possibly could. Like that's how I felt I, about oxy. Yeah, and so, I never felt that way about anything other yeah. than oxy so to this th day. That's what I want to get into too, because it, it, what it seems like is like you weren't an addict. 
you know, you didn't, you, you weren't an addict until you got given that one pill and then you were prescribed it because you were hurting and your body was feeling, I mean, you needed it. You fucking needed it. And then you got hooked on it. Right. So you, you. And then the lifestyle started. Okay. I got hooked before the lifestyle started. Okay. Um, and it, you know, it was, so that was weird too for me to, to, to look at myself and be like, bro, I'm 18 years old with a scholarship, a full ride scholarship going in the state of Florida for academics. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I had an oxy problem. I haven't been taking them that much. Right. And my, so then I talked to my brother about it. And he's like, dude, if you've been taking them three times a week, one, one thirty a day, three times a week, that's enough. If you've done them three days in a row and all. Yeah. And I was like, well, Christmas Eve, Christmas. And then I went out for my birthday. So I did them three days in a row, you know, because I wanted to be able to function. I wanted to be able to be normal. Yeah. Dude, there were days where I had my family there and I'd literally lay on the couch with a fucking puke bucket and I had pills. So it wasn't. And, and even before I had any of the scripts and before I was getting the stuff, I, I had the same stuff going on. And it was like I would eat the oxy and it would make almost everything feel better and would uh, they say that it slows your stomach down. So I almost wondered if maybe things weren't, I, I don't know. They said it was gastroparesis, which basically means paralysis of the stomach. So that doesn't make sense to me because if my stomach was already paralyzed mm-hmm. and I'm eating oxy, it's to slow it down even more. Yeah. So, yeah. You, but do you know, understand what I'm yeah. saying? But like I would eat the oxy and they're telling me it's going to make you feel better. And the shit did. It yeah. works. They know what they're talking about. <laughs> I should start listening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, but you know what I mean? So, but to, I had to look at myself. So I went through a, like a long withdrawal period yeah. where I had pills and wouldn't eat them because I was disgusted with myself because like I watched my brother go through it and I just didn't, I didn't understand. Um, there was no, I mean, there's a warning label on the thing that says don't operate heavy machinery, but this is yeah. before they had a black box label and all that stuff. Yeah. So I didn't really understand that the the risk of addiction. And the doctors weren't telling you this nah, risk either. No. Uh, uh, it just wasn't talked about. I didn't, I didn't feel like anybody yeah. misled me or anything. I think people genuinely wanted to help me. Yeah. Um, and it seemed to work. And when I went back, I felt better. And, yeah. you know, or I even had bad days, but they were a lot less and they were tolerable. You know what I mean? So... <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> so what was that withdrawal like when you went through it for the first time? Dude, I went nuts. It was a uh, dude. They, they were I almost got Baker acted, to be honest with you, because I went. So when my brother went to jail, he was sentenced to like drug court. And mm-hmm. I guess they realized that I was at risk because of my I was his sister. So they sent someone to the school when I was in like my junior year and they pulled me out of my dual enrollment class and then my AP class. So I was automatically indignant. Like, I'm in high school doing yeah. college shit. How dare you interrupt <laughs> yeah. me? Entitled like a motherfucker. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah, buddy. Yeah. Uh and she was she was trying to help me, but basically I had a couple sessions with this lady. She worked for like the outreach program in uh St. Augustine. I forgot what it was called, Epic, I think, Epic Community Services name is i think nikki gorse or nancy gorse something like that but she came out and we had a couple good conversations i was just starting to open up to her and she was basically like listen 
I know that there's drug history in your family because I've talked to your brother. So, like, what you're telling me ain't jiving because we were always told, don't tell anybody because they'll take you. Mm -hmm. You know, you all know where you end up. You know what I mean? So... She was like, I'm basically here because I don't want to see you end up like your brother. And I'm telling you now, if you continue doing what you're doing, because I was smoking pot, um, that was all I was doing. I had a, you know, was working 30 hours a week, was working at Polo at this time because I quit Domino's. Mm -hmm. um, uh, she's like, you're going to, you got the potential of you ending up like your brother is so high, so high. Uh, and so then I quit seeing her, but I reached back out to her with the withdrawal to be like, hey, you're right. It happened. I don't know what to do, you know, because we we're 18 months later. Uh, and I went in and talked to her and basically told her because she wanted to know about the, the dynamics with that, the home. And I had made a comment about how, like, my parents are so detached that if I was bleeding out upstairs, nobody would know. No one would find me. So then she's like, well, we're in a Baker Act. He's like, huh? <laughs> it became a big deal. But yeah. I, I didn't get Baker Acted, but they did send me to the hospital like, overnight and basically that nobody could figure out what to do with me because they didn't qualify to be Baker Act and they didn't have the insurance for the addiction program that they had yeah. and that's where they stuck me and then all the people were there I guess somehow knew my financial status I didn't have any money so everyone was pissed that I was even part of the group the first day so I was like alright well I guess I'm gonna head on out <laughs> I didn't really have any choice you know, that's, like, that's what's sad too is like if you don't have the money you're not getting treatment. Oh, yeah. If you don't have the insurance, fuck you. Good luck. Wait for a bed. Hope you don't die until the bed opens. Well, and this is before <clears throat> you couldn't. Suboxone wasn't a thing here because this is 2005. Yeah. Suboxone was not a thing that was accessible mm -hmm. then. Um, also, methadone, the closest clinic was an hour away. You had to go to Jacksonville or you had to go to Orlando or Daytona. So I didn't, you didn't have a consistent car, yeah. you know? So... It, uh, it, it wasn't good to me. You know, it started out medicinal and then it turned into a need and then yeah. it turned into a lifestyle because I learned that the pills that I hadn't been taking could be sold to replace the income I had lost because yeah. I went from working two jobs to working no jobs because I had jobs, but I wasn't dependable. So I get put on the schedule for like a day or like two days a week, easy shifts and would come in, come in and leave early. Yeah. You know, so what was that lifestyle really like? Like, can you paint that picture for us? I mean, in the beginning, it was just a lot of like me waiting around for scripts or me waiting once a month for that script. Yeah. Then, you know, and like I would be kind of functional, you know, and then, uh, God, I guess, uh, 2006, I ended up going to the clinic for a little bit because my brother and his girlfriend were going, and I had a horrible experience with that. I was on a super low dose. I was on like 30 milligrams, 40 milligrams the whole time I was there, and I threw up all the time. I was constantly ill. It was like almost like worse than where I started at before I had the oxy problem with my stomach issues. Mm -hmm. um, so then I quit doing that. I went back to the oxys. Then I got off the oxys. And did Suboxone for a little bit. And I enrolled in school, well, back in the school because I had to use my scholarship. We're in like 2000, probably 2000, 2007, 2008 now. Um, and then uh, I started doing pills again because I couldn't deal with 
living at home and watching the dynamics with my family and my brother and then basically still having connections to people that like I was involved with when I was kind of like living more of mm-hmm. like a, Hey, I'm going to sell you a few pills. Cause it, it wasn't necessity then, you know what I mean? It was more mm-hmm. like I was kind of dipping my toe in it. Oh, you want a few of them? I got a few. I, I can get, yeah. get you for a decent price, you know? Yeah. Um, Did that ever cut into your stash selling your own pills? Not at that point. Not at that point. Okay. But uh, I would say after, I dropped out of school um, because I just couldn't get there every day. I just couldn't be responsible. I couldn't I didn't deserve the scholarship I had earned mm-hmm. years before. You know, um, I had no real purpose after that. Um, and I had had an experience. Um, I basically had an abortion. Um, and that kind of fucked with me really bad. And after that, I started using pills again. So that um, that abortion, it brought a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. Yeah. Um, and it, it was too kind of like, um, I didn't really want to do it. I, didn't, I was hoping that like God would just take care of the issue because I wasn't fit to be a parent. Yeah. Um, and it didn't happen. And it came to the point where like I had to do something and he was pushing for you know, an abortion. And I was like, well, I guess I went had one on my birthday alone. Oh, fuck. Um, but uh, either way, like after that, I've been like off of methadone and off of pills for like six weeks or something. It was yeah. just like right around, right before I dropped out of school. I dropped out of school. Like I didn't go back to school. I had the abortion on my birthday, which is like Christmas. And I didn't go back to school in January. Yeah. Um, you okay? Yeah. So then, okay. uh, so then after that, you know, I was in this like real weird phase. Um, and my friend took me to the club and I started dancing for a little bit. Um, and that didn't fucking help at all. And then, cause the money was so easy, you know? So then it would be like I started getting fucked up once a week, even though I wasn't getting a script anymore because I didn't want the full time script anymore. Yeah. Um, because I didn't want to take them every day. Yeah. Um, and then after a while it turned into, well, fuck it. We might as well go get a script again. And then I was using, you know, once a week, I would say, but I was using heavy. I would do like 300 milligrams of oxy once I'd crush up 10 thirties and do three lines and break them up and be done for the day. And the rest of the week I would take like three milligrams of suboxone, two milligrams, two milligrams of suboxone a day to like not feel like shit for a couple of days because I had done yeah. so much. Um, and then I would repeat it the next week. Well, I had my accident um, where I, I hit the pedestrian. So after that, dude, I just wanted to die. Like, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. So after that, it went from, well, I'm already going to go to prison. I already feel like I don't deserve to live. And like, I'm still dealing with this medical stuff still all throughout this. I I never really got to a point where I would have a month solid of like not puking my guts out or having severe abdominal pain or like waking up where like my stomach would start to hurt and I would literally kink up. Um, Like my my spine and stuff would lock up. My muscles would lock up. Um, They've tried to tell me I have fibromyalgia. They told me I have Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, but nobody really knows. (laughs) It's all like shit that they just throw out there and see if you want to reel it in. You know what I mean? And I'm not saying that they don't know what they're talking about. I'm just saying I think it's really hard to diagnose somebody that's had 
trauma history, oh, you know, some type of mental, emotional illness, mm-hmm. you know, um, and then they neglected their body for years and abused their body for years, you know, and they're now starting to sort things out. And you kink up, dude, you know, I break the cookie and try to put the cookie back together. I can kind of make it look like a heart again, but it's going to be a fucked up heart. Yeah, You know what I mean? So I feel like that's yeah. what the doctors are up against. And you're like, I feel like the with this healthcare system as it is now, People expect results. So if you start seeing a doctor and for six months, I feel like shit, doc. I'm not getting better. I'm not getting better. They see you with a puke butt. They call you yeah. the puker at the ER. God, you damn. know what I mean? Um, dude, my kid's dad worked at the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, because I spent so much time up there, mm-hmm. you know, Um then when I would come in after a while, they'd give me a blanket and a bucket and stick me in the side room if they didn't have a room, a real room to yeah. take me straight back because they already knew what I was going to go through because yeah. I was in there so much. Yeah. Um, but I think it, I think what happens is from a doctor's perspective is they, you come in, you tell them this, they witness it and they want to help you. So it's better to say, well, I think it's this, let's try this than to say, I don't really know. Yeah. I think we should look at some other stuff, you know, plus Western medicine is more yeah. medicine yeah. and pills and pharmaceutical based than like, Hey, maybe you should stretch your body every day for an hour. Motherfucker. Yeah. When was the last time you stretched? Yeah. When was the last time you did anything good for yourself that didn't right. involve an oxy? Right. You know? <laughs> Nobody ever had yeah. that conversation with yeah. me. Um, until way longer, way, yeah. way down the road. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. So, so it sounds like you, you know, you were taking these pills and you didn't really know that, that it was an addiction coming on to you yeah. and getting dependent on these pills. Yeah. And then you notice that the pills make you feel better. They help you do, do things, do yeah. your regular routine. You enjoy being social. Yeah. And then you tried to, to not take them because it sounded like you were regulating them. You weren't taking like, like me, if I get a, a, a bottle of pills, I'm taking all of them. In the beginning I yeah. was, dude, towards the end. And then it just went, it just spiraled out of control. After my accident, um, so my accident. And we're going to talk about that accident yeah. here in just a minute too. So but the accident was like June of 2009. Yeah. By... The next by year from there, I was on the needle. You know, I was doing between 20 and 30 30s a day. Shit. And this is when it, it was That's 10 a, bucks a pill. So okay. it's still $300. Yeah. It's 100K a year. Yeah. Every day of the year, bro. You can't take no yeah. breaks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's just a solid, all I wanted to do was be normal. You know, I didn't count on the days where I was, there were days where I tried to kill myself uh, mm-hmm. with pills. There's one day where I did 65 Oxy 30s and then like as one Zanny bar and I was sick as a dog the next day, but I didn't die. And then I was mad because I had no pills and I had no money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you what, know. what would you do when that happened? I mean, you just be sick or were there certain nah, I mean, hustles the, that you had to get? Yeah. High? I mean, so dudes was always a thing for me. You know, yeah. it was easy for me to call up a guy and get him to give me money, whether I saw him physically or there was anything or not. Yeah. There, usually there was something on the back yeah. end that came out of it off of me. You know right. what I mean? But. It was nothing for me to get a Western Union for $500, $1,000 or for, hey, I'm going to set up a doctor visit. I'm going to the doctor towards the end before I went to prison. So I was I was on bond for two years. And like I said, I was trying to kill myself. And I, I wouldn't have the courage to do it 
like mm-hmm. with a gun or anything. I was just hoping to OD yeah. and fucking die, but I didn't want to do street drugs. You know, I only, right. it was basically yeah. only Oxy. You yeah. know, I, they wrote me scripts for other shit, but I almost never took it because I never really liked Xanax. It made me yeah. nervous. You know, with weird stuff on them. Yeah. You know, um, and I've had a lot of friends die, you know, mixing yeah. Xanax and uh, methadone, methadone and alcohol, Xanax yeah. and Oxy, Oxy and alcohol. Uh, a lot of friends at and that back point. Back then, that was like actual Xanax and yeah, and real, shit. Like real now, shit. It's all now it's all fentanyl. fentanyl. You never know yeah. what you're gonna get. Yeah, I'll be honest. I was glad I got out of the game before that shit came yeah. out because I didn't, I didn't have any of those experiences because yeah. I was straight pharma, strictly pharmaceuticals. I'll be honest. That is what keeps me from relapsing, is because you know my 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 d- drug of choice is methamphetamine. And, yeah, and, but I've seen so many uh, overdoses since I've been a peer support specialist here in Arkansas of people just doing that drug and overdosing instantly. Yeah, killing them. I mean, it's because they're not opiate addicts, bro. Yeah, and it's just it's all laced with fentanyl. And I've got a lot of comments too on some of my uh, uh, social media videos. Uh, they're like, well, why would they, anybody lace? Uh, a drug and sell it for free you know like why why would they lace uh shit with uh uh fentanyl and not sell it as fentanyl like what where what's the, the because i i guess it's cheaper I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why don't they know. do it. There's uh, more of it. People are just no one's giving out drugs for free no, when I was growing. no. It's fucking. It's <laughs> definitely not free. But you was somebody, coming off the top with something. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Somebody's making something off of it. Yeah, yeah. There's something out there that's benefiting somebody for pushing the fentanyl, yeah. and they're pressing it with everything. I mean, I do know that. A Xanax is more expensive than fentanyl. Yeah. So it's being pressed. And like I had a barber, she took a Xanax, a one bar, and then her uh, her her partner came in and he saw her laying on the floor overdosing from yeah. one Xanax, dude. Like I, I just, uh, it scares me shitless. Like yeah. I don't even want to touch anything because yeah. I don't want to kill myself. And that's because I value my life now. Yeah. Like back there. It's before I was yeah, like, I was like fuck me, it. Done. Yeah, please. <laughs> Best way to die Put is overdose. Put me out of my misery, <laughs> homie. <laughs> Do me a solid. Yeah, please. <laughs> <laughs> this shit's so hard to keep up with. <laughs> Dude, towards yeah. the end, like, you know, because I knew I was going to prison and I had so much guilt and was trying to kill myself. What happened was every day I would meet new people, right? Mm-hmm. And every time I meet a new people, I hear about a new doctor. And this is before Florida had the system. By, by the time I went to prison, I had 12 doctors. I would hit two doctors in one day in Orlando Damn. sometime. So, and I was getting the legal limit out of all of them. Yeah. Every single fucking one of them. I was getting, yeah. you know, basically 204, because you get like 150 30s and 150 uh, 15s or something like 180, something like that, because it would equal 240, yeah. basically. You get eight fucking oxy-30s a day, motherfucker. Yeah. And that, that wasn't enough for me. So even if I kept one script yeah. out that out of those twelve, I still had to go keep get another one just to to balance it out. And then everything else was kind of like, well, I'd owe people because even though I had all those those pills coming in and was selling a lot, still there are days like where that. I did fifty. Yeah. Well, or like, hey, I had someone that paid every month and they yeah. didn't. Even on the months where I had money, they didn't want to be left out. So I had to continue to honor that deal because that was what we had set up, yeah. you know? Yeah. A dirt bag with morals. 
I mean, so I want so <laughs> so like people, our word is so important to us in the streets. So it is. So like I never, mm. you know, I never snitched. I never directly robbed anybody. I never was the type of person where you had to worry about leaving your purse around me. Yeah. Um, there were a couple times where I I did stupid shit. There was a couple times where I lost someone else's money because I got robbed, and that never made me feel good. Yeah. Um, and I always tried to do whatever I could because there's always a doctor visit a couple days yeah. away. And I feel like if you give me your money and I tell you I'm going to go get you something and I, I, something bad happens to me, that's on me, you yeah. know? Um, because normally when I deal with people – like they're solid people, they're people I know, but towards the end, dude, everybody was getting so, and I would come through with big money. Yeah. You know, I come through, you know, and I'm not, I'm not want to fight with nobody. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just here to do business and be buddies, talk to shit, and then both leave with what we talked we were going to say we were going to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So towards the end, I felt like it, everything was just getting so out of hand for not just me, but literally everybody. Yeah. You know, people dying, people getting cut from doctors, people going to the needle, people mm-hmm. um, losing relationships, robbing pharmacies. I knew a lot of people who yeah. pharmacies. Yeah. Uh, I had, I knew one dude that came over with a five-gallon bucket of Oxycontin with the lid on. I, like a five-gallon, like a fucking <laughs> Home Depot bucket, bro. I, this is before I was using. I saw this at someone else's house, and yeah. I was just like trying to wrap my head around it yeah. because I couldn't understand how they got so many. And I found out later they were robbing all the pharmacies in like (laughs) the tri-state area. (sighs) So did you, you mentioned earlier that you weren't into the street drugs. Was there ever a a point in that uh, towards the end there that you couldn't get your oxy so you went to heroin? No. Uh, okay. I always had an ox. So I, towards the end, I couldn't do the oxy. So I went to the Dilaudid. Okay. Dilaudid was cheaper. It had a better bang for the buck. Yeah. You know, I could do 10 Dilaudid, you know, do fucking 80 milligrams of Dilaudid, 120 milligrams of Dilaudid a day and in IV and have a nice buzz. Yeah. Um, and that kind of messed me up, too, because it, I feel like once you deal with the needle, yeah, it's over. Even so, like I would buy a box once a week, a box of needles yeah. from Publix once a week, um, and I never had any issues because I'm a nice, pretty white girl yeah. who speaks well. And yeah. normally, I didn't have tracks anywhere but my neck. You know, yeah. my hair would cover mine because I would, I did my neck. Yeah. I didn't have fucking veins here, you know. Um, so and I knew everybody, you know. So a lot of times, even if they didn't want to, they would. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I didn't have the worries of like passing around a dull needle or sharing needles yeah. with people. But I, the ritual is what kills me. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. It's because it's a ritual. Yeah. Like I you clean the counter with my alcohol. I had this little fucking thing. Of alcohol I always kept. And I'd wait for it to be done. I had this little uh, contact case yeah. because I would drop them in water. As soon as I get them, because a lot of times I would have to drive or like ride with somebody to go get them. And I'm dope sick now. I need to use now. Yeah. You know? So I, by the time I get back to where I am, I want to be ready. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah. It, to, the, just the just the ritual of it, you know what I mean, yeah. was such a time-consuming thing. Yeah. I missed so much in my life and in the life of the people around me. Because I spent all of my time prior to prison, basically, and then 
within six months of me being released, it was almost, almost back to where it was. Um, you know, basically chasing this drug, going to doctors, going from area to area, filling scripts, you know, um, losing a doctor, owing people money. And like, I, I never had anybody be able to throw dirt on my face and say, well, Ginger fucked me. But like after a while of getting your ass kicked, like that prison sentence that I knew was was coming up, it was probably a blessing in the fact that I probably would have started robbing pharmacies mm -hmm. because I wouldn't have known what else to do. And mm -hmm. I get, I already knew people doing it that had gotten away with it quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So I think it would have only taken the right day and the wrong conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> You, you touched on something like really heavy too, because, you know, I was an IV user as well. And that ritual, like when you said that, it just like, it brought me all the way back to the whole thing. And yeah, like the, the, you, the stuff you need, yeah, your kit. Yeah, I had a kit. Yeah, your I had kit, a little your bag kit. with the, with yep. everything in it. Yeah. And see, and, and me, I, I was a dirty chunky. I was one of those motherfuckers that was sitting in the hotel room, passing around a fucking point and yeah. we were all sharing it and if i didn't have one i was digging through fucking trash and trying to get it like yeah. i would go to any extent to get high yeah. that way because i was not only addicted to the the high and the rush but i was addicted to that point going in in my yeah. skin dude i was i was blessed with shit veins like i can see yeah. your veins from oh, here God, bro i, got veins I can tie off I can yeah <laughs> Yeah. Dude, there's one part of my intervention where, like, I called the, the poor camera guy my bathroom buddy because every time I was getting high, they wanted footage. Yeah. So I was like, come on, you ready? I'm, let's go, buddy. <laughs> I fucking get in there. And, like, I just cut my hair off because one of the doctors that I was getting pills from would always, like, touch my hair. And it was he was fucking weird. He got, he got in trouble uh, and shut down for shit with girls what the fuck? um but over in saint augustine doc dr uh dr roy was his name but uh he would always touch my hair i had really long blonde hair when i started the process with intervention it took three months for them to commit to me and come out but by the time they came out i basically shaved my fucking head so like on the episode you see me with like these like platinum platinum little nubs on the end <laughs> and then these dark roots because I quit maintaining it because I had cut it all off like a month before they came out, mm -hmm. th three weeks before they came out. Um, so because like I, I got tired of him like touching my hair. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Which I'm sure kind of brought back some memories from when you were 14. Yeah, because that was the type of shit, shit that they, they would yeah. do bump up against you, yeah. rub up against you. Yeah. 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 Predators are. Ugh. They all operate the same, too. Yeah. They all operate the same. Yeah. Uh, befriend, um, confuse, isolate, perpetrate. Yeah. Repeat. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Because I dealt with that, too. And that's that's exactly what happened was like was my friend and then get like spoiled me. Yeah. And I'm fucking between the ages of nine and 11. Yeah. And then when I wasn't good enough, it like just completely pushed me to the side and went to their next victim. Yeah. And then that caused fucking damage in my life. And like it's it's it it sucks to say that. Yeah. You know, because I was a kid, I was a baby. Yeah. You know? And you don't understand. And, and I didn't understand what this other man was doing to me. Mm -hmm. And like it fucked me up, like really fucking bad for many years. Pretty much until I got into recovery. Yeah. 
and started working on that, doing that shadow work on myself. It, shadow work is hard, bro. You got to look at a lot it's of a stuff. Bitch. And I just, uh, me and my fiance, we were watching something last night. And I guess uh, it's Capricorn since 2008 since we're Capricorns, mm -hmm. has been in, it's been in th their uh, moon or something. Yeah. And it's coming out of that. Yeah. And so December, since 2008. December, we yeah. started to come around the cusp. Yeah. So 2008 till now, we've been doing, we've been in the shadow. Yeah. And we've been going through all this shit, but now it's time this for us to be rise, year, bitch. bro. I got told the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're going to get this. We're, we're coming out of this shit. Do you know your life cycle? I'm a ninth life cycle. I so have like, no idea. So I've been here over and over. And like, it's interesting. So like one of the fundamental things Ian had asked me, not on the podcast, like just in conversation, uh -huh. was he had said, do you have a hard time leaving people behind? And bro, it's so hard for yeah. me. Like, so I'm the person that like, I keep in contact with, uh, like you'll constantly, so now you're on my Facebook, right? You'll see me all the time. Is there anyone in this area? Blah, blah, blah. I'm gonna be here. If you want to get together, I fucking come to you because I'm gonna be around. Yeah. Um, I'm all like, even if I've got friends that I'm trying to go see now in California tomorrow when we leave out of here, um, that I know aren't, Doing as good as they say they are. And I'm all right with that. Like, yeah. bro, I would like to show up for you no matter how you show up. Yeah. Um, because this might be the last time I see you if you're on that run. Yeah. Um, so I had somebody that I was in treatment with in California. Um, I went to a place called Casa Capri. And um, so her name was Ashley. And she lived in the um, apartment across from me. And she was like. Her and this other girl, Jules, were like the, my people in, in treatment. Um, and this, this is when I was in IOP, right? Because I yeah. got gifted IOP, yeah, um, long-term IOP um, and in sober living. I was I went to California in 2018, saw her in 2018. She wasn't doing good. She'd been in and out of rehab everywhere. Her parents had a lot of money. She was really pretty. And I think she wanted consequences to stop, but she wasn't tired. She wasn't done yeah. yet. Um, so she got with some dude and was using again. And it took me four days to get to convince her to meet me. I'm so glad that we did um, because I was supposed to come out and see her 2020 uh, or maybe it was 2019. It was either 2019 or 2020. I can't remember. Um, but she went missing like around the time I was supposed to go see her and then they found her dead in a U-Haul. Uh, she was oh, wrapped shit. up um, in like, if, if I if I understand what I was told correctly, she was like under debris or like her body was concealed, essentially. Um, yeah. And like, I don't know the, the behind the scenes of like what, how she ended up there. Um, I talked to her family and they disclosed what they wanted to, which was very little, and just said that she was involved in some stuff that um, they didn't feel safe moving forward with any of the investigating. Um, and that, like, I get that feeling anytime I see people online and I know they're not doing good and they don't want to meet. Yeah. Or like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or they're like, oh, I'm all right, you know. Like, as well, a lot of times, like, I, I mean, I'm mildly autistic anyway, right? I got ADHD bad. <laughs> so I want to, but, like, I want to visually see you, especially if you're one of, like, my people who were in recovery or you struggled or you're doing mat or you've got trauma or you've got a history yeah. of suicidal tendencies yeah. or whatever it is. Like, 
I don't need to leave you behind, bro. Like I'm fucking, I'm like a linebacker, bro. Yeah. Like I'm big for a girl. I can carry a lot of weight, yeah. but like I can only do it so long. Like I need you to fight for you. Like I'll grab your hand. I'm right here. Like there's no reason to leave anybody behind. You can fucking come with me. Yeah. Um, so it kills me to walk away from people, especially if they were a part of my fundamental growth. Right. Um, and because I always have that thought in my mind and I think about Ashley more than anybody else um, when it comes to that, because I th like when I was out there, Doug, my husband was telling me, like, why are you fighting to see her if she doesn't want to see you? Yeah. And I was like, because I don't know what she's going through, but I, I, know, I know what, what she's, she's going, going through. through. Yeah. You know, she and she probably thought so. Like when I first got sober, I was a big book thumper because that was what was instilled to me. And it made sense. I'd never done anything else. So yeah. and all these other people swore it worked for them. Yeah. And I had something that like I could essentially recite to like calm me down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So. I think in her mind, she was like scared that I would big book her to death yeah. and shame her with it because I, I could use it as a weapon, you know, or as like a tool to help people. And like when I first got sober, I vacillated a lot mm -hmm. between beating people with the big book because yeah. I was told, hey, I'll walk over your dead body to get into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous yeah. because I need to be here. And if you have to die in front of me for me to get in, then I'm going to step over you because I'm going to do what I have to do. You yeah. know, and it was more of like the thing of, hey, when you're in, you get sober, you need three suits. You've heard that, right? Because yeah. yeah. you're going to bury a lot of people. You yeah. know, um, yeah, but in that, but like I took it like literally, you yeah. know what I mean? So I'm like, get sober or die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was crazy as the day is long. I'm still crazy, but like I'm more chill crazy <laughs> than I was before, bro. Yeah. So it was a lot, you know, yeah. like. And like everything I do, I feel strongly. Yeah. <laughs> and even if I don't, you think I do because I get excited yeah. easy. And I do a lot of this. So people are like, I don't know if I'm safe. I don't know if she's mad. I don't know what's going on. I'm scared. <laughs> but um, oh, I love it. It's interesting because like that was a big part of my recovery. My growth was going through that process. And I needed that in the beginning. Um, I tell people all the time I would never have gotten sober had intervention not come through because I needed yeah. 90 days in an inpatient treatment where I could not leave and I could not access anything. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I could have walked out the door, but they were willing to keep me. Right. They weren't pushing me out the door, which right. is what I'd, I'd experience every other time. Yeah. Medical problems were too much for the places I could afford, yeah. you know. So let's talk a little bit about intervention. So you were on the TV show Intervention. Yeah. So how did that come a uh, part of your life? Like, how did you get involved with that? Was there a, uh, somebody else bring that on to you? You reached out to them, say, hey, motherfucker, I need an intervention. I'm perfect <laughs> so, for your show. So, um, so this is after prison, right? I come home from prison. I have trauma in what prison. Year? So this is... You want to talk about prison first? We ain't even really get in the prison yet. Or do you want to just jump into the intervention? Let's just jump into the All intervention. All right, that's fine. So I did my prison time, right? And things that happened in prison happened in prison. Yeah. Okay? Um, happened to me. Happened to like 20 other people in my dorm and countless other people yeah. that I'll never know about. And probably still happening yeah. right now because they were at fucking Lowell, which is like the most cited 
uh, women's prison in the country. It's supposed to be the largest and it's got like the most sexual abuse and violence um, write-ups, reports, um, investigations of like any other prison in the country um, against violence of staff against inmates. So I come home and like I'm so on house arrest. I'm sober for like, I don't know, from I got home last day of September. I was sober up until like Right around my birthday. So you birthday. were sober and clean all the way through prison? I was sober prison. and clean through prison, right? Okay. I went through withdrawal in prison. I went through kidney and liver failure, and they had to take me outside. Wow. Uh, the black box me. I wasn't even classified. I got in, like, Friday morning because Thursday night they kicked my bunk. Um, was sentenced Tuesday. Thursday they kicked my bunk. Friday I was in prison. I started going into withdrawal Saturday because I brought shit into county yeah. and ate what I could and gave away the rest and flushed the rest of that. Yeah. Um, and by Wednesday morning, they basically called 911 because I, I was just so sick. Um, so sick. But, uh, they sent me out to the hospital, like with a black box and all that craziness. And then I was kind of normal after that and dealt with a lot of stomach issues, but in like body problems, neck issues and stuff like that. But it, I normalized and they weren't going to give me nothing, Yeah, you know, uh, just kind of struggled through it. And then when I got home, I was still sober up until I would say like around my birthday or the new year. Okay. Um, I had a pen pal while I was in there. So I made, <clears throat> I walked out of prison with $10,000 or so, give or take a little more, a little more, I guess. Um, and the state or not the state, but the bank inmate bank was run by bank of America. They had to cut me a check. So I came home for like three weeks to my parents' house. And like the first day I was home, I found a loaded needle that oh, had shit. like probably 10 or 30, 10, 10 to 20 oxy thirties. And it was a solid blue needle, bro. That yeah. bitch was full. I remember looking for it like the day before. Cause I remember I'd put one under there, but I couldn't reach it. I couldn't get the dresser out. Yeah. So I eventually abandoned it. Cause I thought it, maybe I'd used it, but I was cleaning the, the room out and found it tucked up under there and gave it to my mom like two in the morning. So I freaked out. So you saw it. Did that trigger you? Were you, yeah. uh, you were yeah. instantly like, uh, I mean, I thought about it for like a split. So I was like, Oh, yeah. I wonder. And I was like, bitch, you're going to die. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you ain't done nothing like yeah. three years on me. And I just went downstairs and gave it to my mom, let them get rid of it. That's incredible. Um, yeah. but you know, I waited for that checked. I had like a little bit of money. I sent myself home 1500 bucks through uh, admin. I don't know if you've ever done that. You could mm. cut a check. If you got enough money in your account, you can go to admin and cut a check to wherever, a business, to yourself, to cash or your family. Mm -hmm. And they'll, the, it takes a while, but they'll send it out. Um, so I did that like two months before I got home. So like the week I got home, I had a check there for for me so I could spend, have money because I needed new clothes and all that yeah. stuff. I found a place to live and then my big check came and I, you know, got myself a place to live that was close to town because I have a driver's license. They took my license for life. So I was riding a bike to work at Sunny's for eight fifty an hour in the kitchen after having a heat stroke and they had no no AC in Florida Damn. in the kitchen in this bitch. So I would work like two hours in the morning and three hours in the afternoon and still not make like 40 bucks for the whole day after taxes. Um, not just, worth that bike ride. Yeah, it just <laughs> but it was yeah. what it was. And like after a while, you know, I, I don't want to fucking work a job anymore. And the the pills were around and I kind of learned how the house arrest worked and how to work the system because mm -hmm. I didn't have a monitor. It was like community control. So it was without the the, the ankle monitor. Mm -hmm. um, and I started with, you know, the dudes, 
the dudes would, you know, I always knew the dudes were interested in financing my lifestyle, but I'd never like taken them up on it. So I had, I had the pill hustle. I was going from doctor to doctor, you know, you want to pay for my doctor. That's great. You ain't gonna pay for nothing else, you know? Um, (laughs) But, uh, you know, it kind of transitioned into that because I felt like with no driver's license, no formal education, no nothing, I really couldn't do anything else is what I felt like, you Mm -hmm. know, being on house arrest and, just like everything I had going against me and the fact that I was using it again, you know? So the dudes came in and dude, that shit goes South quick. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it just, it, it just numbed my soul. You know what I'm saying? Like, and at one point I kind of just woke up and was like, I cannot do this anymore. Like I cannot meet a guy, pretend to be interested, ask me if he's got any money. You know, I just can't do this shit no more, man. Yeah. Um, so I basically told God, this is like summer of 2015. I was in, I went back to school. I went to cosmetology school and I was doing really well in the beginning because I was sober in the beginning and I'm relapsing. So uh, here I am again with another scholarship, you know, that people die for, you know, people beg for help to go to go back to school and I couldn't fucking get there every day because I couldn't stop. With the lifestyle, with the bullshit. Yeah. Um, and I was just like, dude, I'm just going to kill myself if, because my life's never going to be anything. I'm always going to be sick. I'm always going to, I'm never going to have a fucking license again. Nobody wants a wife or a mother that doesn't have a license. You know, um, I felt like I had fucked my kid up because I'd been gone. Um, and my family was fucked and nobody was wanting to have any type of conversations to heal or to grow or to change or even acknowledge. So it made me more and more angry. Yeah. Um, so I was like, well, I'm going to go on. I'm going to write Dr. Phil. I'm going to write Intervention. I wrote Intervention actually in uh, 2009, 2009, 2010. I wrote them. And uh, we got as far as like some of the process and they, they I had the pending felony. So as soon as I told them I had a pending felony for a hit and run, they backed out because people disappear, people get sentenced, and then they don't finish their show. Yeah. Um. So that kept them away from me the first time. But this time, um, both times you have to pretend to be a family member. Because if they know that you know, they tell your family they pack up in the middle of the night and they leave. But nobody gets treatment. And you know how devastating that would be yeah. if your family fucking riled together and sat for hours talking to these people for months on end and talking to each other. Oh, she's going to get help. She's going to yeah. get help. She's going to go. She just need. Yeah, we yeah. just need to hang on. We only need to hang on. Then they get there and somebody finds out that they know and they pack up in the middle of the night like cowards and leave. I'm not saying they did that. Yeah. I don't know. I know what the paperwork said on what they told the person who wrote, which was me from another email address, you know? So I had to pretend like I didn't know, you know what I mean? But the whole time I was counting on it. Cause I was, I was going to shoot myself in the head before the end of the year. I wanted to do it before Christmas, but after my niece's birthday, because we got a bunch of birthday, we're all fucking Capricorns and Sagittarius, my family for most part. So we got a string of birthdays from the middle of November, really, really Halloween up until the end of the year. So I was trying to off myself because I didn't want to do another Christmas or another birthday because my birthday is the first day of my withdrawal. Yeah. Um, but uh, I got uh, treatment like the day I got the intervention came out and did my intervention like the day before I was going to shoot myself. Wow. So because my niece, it was on my niece's birthday. 
Wow. It's the day that I went, December 16th. Uh, so there's definitely a higher power. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it was definitely yeah. a, a God thing. It was yeah. not. They get 10,000 letters a day. The fact that anybody ever read mine. Yeah. You know, never mind the fact that they wanted to help me because there was nothing special about me other than that I was a bright kid who had trauma. Yeah. But I know lots of kids like that, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, uh, I really, I really thank intervention and like, it was weird because when I first went through it, it was like a way to keep people away from me and to separate myself from people. Mm-hmm. Well, I was on intervention. Like, it was so bad. Like, you don't know. Or, you know what I mean? Or, oh, I used to, I'm on TV shooting up in my neck. Do you want to hang out? Right. Oh, oh, no, no, you, you call, call me. Fuck yeah. out of here. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, yeah. Because I didn't want to relate to people. I didn't want to connect with people because I was so tired of being hurt and being let down and like not being good enough or not being able to whatever, 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 ad infinitum. You know what I mean? Um, But uh, my treatment experience with the place that they sent me, which was Destin Health, Destin Destin Recovery Center, um, they actually sent me to one place first. It was a horrible fit for me, and I really had to advocate for myself over and over and over and over and over to be heard. Um, And then the medical and like medical director was like, Hey, yeah, you guys got to take her somewhere else. This isn't for her. Then they sent me to DRC and like, I connected with the 12 step community. I connected with um, the staff there. And like to this day, like I was going through midlife crisis, like a month ago, two months ago, I went down to Destin. I drove the three and a half hours to Destin and went and hung out in Destin, went and saw all my people that worked at the treatment center, no longer work there. And this is not a center anymore. But I went and saw them and saw my people from AA. And I went to my old home group and sat in my home group and cried in my home group because I've been in this weird, I don't have a new home group where I'm at because I'm in this weird spot where I have a medical marijuana vape. So ever since we moved from Destin, I got one around that time. I never got back into the community because I feel like a fraud because yeah. I it was so instilled to me that, yo, if you take Tylenol, if you take antidepressants, I'm not advocating to yeah. be like that, but that was what was instilled to me. Yeah. So I feel like a fraud Hanging out with people, even yeah. if I don't say I'm sober, yeah. being there, you know what I mean? And I having a medical do. marijuana vape. See, I'm, not, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a big advocate for multiple pathways. Harm reduction. There is no— What saves your life, bro? <clears throat> yeah, what prevents you from putting a needle absolutely. in your neck and going to the fucking street corner and selling your ass? Yeah. Or robbing the dope dealer or robbing a pharmacy yeah. or making your own drugs? Or, absolutely. You know, absolutely. like— I don't, I don't give a fuck what your pathway is. If, it better, if your life is better than what it was and, yeah. and you are able to manage your fucking life— Yeah. Then get it. Yeah, whatever that looks you. like for you. I support you fully in that. Yeah. For me, it's, uh, you know, I'm completely abstinent. Yeah. Uh, there's, I just, I don't, that's just me. I did that for three years. You know? And then I got to the point in sobriety, I was going to fucking shoot myself yeah. because I had so much pain and like, you know, Doug, Doug was a big deal for me. Doug's my husband. Uh-huh. Um He's probably the only person that I've ever really been able to like always count on and has always been there for me. And mm-hmm. like mine and Doug's relationship was more of like the movie Pretty Woman. Yeah. You remember that movie? Yeah. That's how our relationship started. Okay. You following me? Okay. So 
when it transitioned into a normal relationship and things moved out, I had an opportunity to have a life that I never would have had. He was the one that pushed for me to get an appeal. And he says all the time, best $3,000 I ever spent, you know, um, because when I was sentenced, the judge revoked my license for life. I've yeah. never seen anybody win an appeal. I've heard rumors that they yeah. happen. <laughs> I know a lot of people that tried and never won, yeah. you know, um, but uh, when I came home, I had already tried twice and I'd even dated an attorney. But by the time we got into court, we weren't dating no more. So I think it was like, ah, fuck uh, your appeal. Fuck your license, crazy. bitch. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't want to try no more because I got tired of being told no after working on it and getting my hopes up. Um, yeah. And that's a big hurdle for somebody that doesn't have a license trying to get a license and better their life and yeah. take care of them. Like a license, you know, and I think it's bullshit that you have to have a fucking license to drive a car. But yeah. well, it's whatever, you know, it, it is what it is. But still, when it's like when I got out of prison in 2019, I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have a vehicle. I had nothing to set me up for success, but I had everything to set me up for it's fucking failure. failure. Yeah. Like I went into the parole office in 2019, the day after I got out. And this is the first time I had ever been on parole. And I go in to see my uh, parole officer and they say, oh, well, you haven't paid your fine yet. We're going to extend your parole. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't even know I was supposed to pay it. Nobody even yeah. told me that I was supposed to pay it. Y'all just let me know certified mail. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> hell, I just walked out of the prison gates the yeah. day before. Yeah. Come in to see. And, and you know, it, it's just bullshit. The whole system is very, very uh, set up to make you make that stigma last a lot longer than it has to. But... <clears throat> Uh, you know, driver's license is so important. I mean, I had a guy on the show, his name's Michael, and he runs a program in a county jail, uh, which he is just like us. You know, he's a recovering addict. And he was talking about there was like a 40 or 50 year old woman that just got her driver's license for the first time in her life. And I can imagine how proud you are right. to to have that accomplishment. Like uh, anybody that's had a driver's license since they were 16 years old and has always had it, it's no big fucking deal. Right. But for somebody that has never had it and has always tried to get it or just continued to give up on getting a driver's license. Right. And then you finally get it and you are a senior. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, oh, my God, I got a driver's license. <laughs> you know, and that is a big deal. I think yeah. I think there needs to be more support. And more programs out there to help and encourage people that have been caught on driving on suspended or have multiple fines that's keeping yeah. them from getting it. Yeah. There needs to be a way for everybody to have a fucking driver's license to take care of themselves. Yeah. You know, or they need to put the money into public transportation. Either one, yeah. you got to pick one. You can't have yeah. somebody in the middle of I mean, Florida. And, I, you know, I'm all against if, if somebody was driving and they have multiple charges of, yeah. of you know, manslaughter or DWIs and they just can't not let's keep our roads safe yeah, yeah yeah but the people that are trying and they're proving themselves month after month after month yeah. and they're consistent with with making progress in their life give them a fucking driver's license yeah dude you know what's interesting is you so you hit on something that one of the comments that like people will say when they hear my story they look me up they're like she's had multiple hit and runs i was brought back to court 
yeah. for to, to county after I was sentenced to prison. So they put on your charging documents the same charge yeah. that you're in prison yeah. for because you're DOC custody. Yeah. So it looks like I got checked into county three times for a hit and run in St. John's County, but I only ever had the one, the one arrest. Yeah. The rest was me being transported from DOC to county. Yeah. Stupid I'm people. You can't explain that, that to people on the internet, though, because everybody knows yeah. more. Everybody's uh, opinionated. Yeah. And they hear, they hear what they, they want to hear, hear yeah. and they're like, oh, yeah, fuck that And they bitch. run with it, just like yeah. the shit about the officer, officer yeah. that was in the pregnant dorm. This dude fucked over 20 women or had some type of sexual... Interaction. Interaction, yeah, because yeah, it's not a relationship because I, out of the, the 22, 23 people that I've been told about, I physically, myself, talked to 15 of them and verified it. And the other ones are either back in, they can't be found, yeah. um, whatever. Either way, they all say the same thing. You know, it was like befriend, um, you know, kind of confuse, yeah. blur the lines, yeah. isolate. isolate. And then, yeah. you know, get out of there. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, to me, like to hear people say, because I said in Ian's interview, he was my friend. What I meant by that was the reason why I felt comfortable enough to be in a situation where I was alone doing supplies. And a lot, dude, if you got a shitty officer, it ain't up to you to be like, well, I'm not doing it alone. Yeah. You know, if you're a dorm worker or if you're assigned to grounds and there are no grounds for your dorm and you're supposed to do shit for like, go get supplies or whatever it is. Yeah. Like. And a lot of people don't understand the prison life. I know. They're, they're, they don't get it because they've never been there. I know. They think they know it by watching fucking prison I know. episodes. And they, they don't get it. But, you don't know it unless you've been in those shoes. Right. So my thing was was it me saying he was my friend. That's why I was comfortable and I didn't really have my guard up being back there. And that's why it was so confusing for me because— like we talked about normal things. We had conversations. They were never sexual in nature. Yeah. There was never any, oh, well, hey, what would you do? Or yeah. there was never any, hey, you want to go to, want to meet me in the back and fool around? There was none of that. It was, I turned around and this guy's stuff is exposed yeah. and it happened really quickly. And the next thing I know, we're going into count. You know what I mean? Like, I, yeah. I didn't know how to process it. And yeah. I didn't even process it until after I went home and I had a, other people start reaching out to me saying, hey, you remember that day? Blah, blah, blah. I remember that day. I'm going to tell you what happened with me. What happened with you? And then we all started talking to each other and realizing it was over and over and over. Like yeah. I said, uh, he got... Right. Like within three weeks after me, there was a new girl brought in and within two or three days she was in the back while they were going to chow and they were back there so long. And people had told on them white shirts came down and he was coming out as they were coming in with a different set of keys. And they removed him from the dorm and put him on perimeter. And she went to confinement, you know, and then got shipped Um while her shit got ran through and, yeah. you know, admit if it didn't get stolen first because they unlocked the lock and just leave it open, yeah. you know, but he didn't lose his job. The next day he was on perimeter. And as soon as they called us for chow, he brought the truck up and was waving at the fence to everybody like, fuck you, bitches. I yeah. still got my job. Yeah. What a you, piece of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. So and like there was a lot of stuff that was well known in the prison, too. 
that like everybody talked about and nobody did shit about. And that was another reason because people were like, oh, why didn't you say something? Because no, a bitch doesn't want to go to confinement under AC investigation. I did that once before. Yeah. I spent 87 days in AC confinement, never got let out for anything other than a shower once a week because they always find a reason not yeah. to let me out. Never got one phone call and missed visits. They kept my mail. Then when they yeah. locked me, they gave me what I had on. Yeah. They took everything else down to admin looking through it to see if there was evidence of something. Yeah. Then I had to wait for property to give it back. It took me like 10 days. Yeah, that's bullshit. I think they need to make some kind of documentary about that kind of shit that's going on. So I actually have something in the works um, for that was at least central to my story and the story surrounding the prison that I was at. I have mm -hmm. a, a few white shirts, one that's still active there um, that are willing to come forward. I have a couple people that were like uh, like a chaplain. There was a nurse. Um, I've got the librarian. I've got um, a few officers that quit, quite a few officers. And I've got probably 20 different former inmates. Wow. Um, and families. I got some of their families, too, that'll say, well, hey, we came to VP and we saw this or we were told this. Or, yeah, um, yeah that's we, a I story actually, that needs to be told for sure. Yeah, yeah. like I said, Lowell is the most cited <clears throat> prison in the country for uh, abuse against inmates. And it's the largest women's prison yeah. in the country. Uh, I, th I think um, I think it's like as far as max out capacity. Wow. Um, they also house, you know, lifers and death row inmates. Mm -hmm. So, you know. Yeah. And I hope, let's see where we can, if I can help you with that project, I'd love to. Yeah. Absolutely. I've got, it's good. like, I wanted to kind of get a, a take of, like, it's kind of going to be, like, surviving R. Kelly yeah. meets Orange is the New Black. Because that's the story. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, And I wanted the second part of it. I think it's going to have to be, like, a mini series essentially. But uh, the second part of it is going to be more of, like, what are we doing now to better our community? Because almost everybody that I keep in touch with that's doing okay is doing some shit like what we're doing right here, right now. They yeah. work for somebody that's helping. Like, I know uh, <clears throat> one girl that she's in Jacksonville, Florida, and she works at a facility where they only hire ex-felons, and they work with women who have been trafficked. And they try to get their – if you can prove that your charges were That's relating cool. to you being trafficked, they try to get your yeah. record expunged, Yeah, um, which is life-changing for people. Yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. I'm almost to the point where I can apply for clemency. You yeah. got to be home for, I think, 10 years, uh, 10 years from completion of sentence. So I got home in 2013, was sentenced in 2011. So my completion of sentence actually isn't going to be uh, – it wasn't until 2015 because I had the, the house arrest. Yeah. So, uh, two more years, a little less Got than a year, and a year and a half. Got uh, it. Yeah, and I can apply. So That's gonna, good. It's a long process, though. That's good. So, let's go into the message of hope. We've painted, you've, you've done an amazing job of painting the picture of what that lifestyle was like, uh, the things that you went through, the trauma, the, the, the entire experience. And I really appreciate you being vulnerable enough to share a lot of that personal information. I believe that information is going to help somebody else relate with your story yeah. and, they, and they'll be able to reach out. You know, and because and that's that that was my problem for so long. And I'm sure that you can relate with this is like I'm going through all this shit and I have nobody to fucking talk to. Yeah. And the people I want that yeah. I can talk to, I can't talk to yeah. you. You're part of the problem yeah. or you don't care because you've been so close to it for so long. And you don't understand why I just can't be normal, mm -hmm. even though you just can't be normal. and You don't have the drug right. issue. Right. You know. Right. Absolutely right. 
So let, what is life like today? Um, dude, my life is really good. And uh, so, again, I attribute a lot of that to a combination of things, right? So, like, by the time intervention came, I was ready, dude. I was so tired. Um, I just couldn't live like that no more. I was mm-hmm. tired of the high. I was tired of what I had to do to get it. I was tired of the lifestyle. I was tired of the consequences. And I was I was even tired of the good parts. Like, the good parts weren't even good anymore. You know what I mean? Um I wanted to just be able to be normal and, uh, you know, through intervention and be getting treatment because I was gifted, you know, the the three months of regular treatment. And then I was gifted um, IOP with sober living after that in California. I met a lot of really amazing people that I make sure I do my due diligence to keep up with. I'm going to see some, you know, tomorrow when I get yeah. out there and I see him in Destin and I keep the connections, right? So like one of the most profound things I ever heard, and this is kind of what helps me now when I get in that weird funk of like, because I feel like I let people down because I've got a medical marijuana vape, right? Because people reach out to me because they see me on the show. I'm doing the podcast thing. So I'm starting to be a little more vocal now and they want to know if I'm sober. And I say no, because of, for, for me, um, for me, I think I want to always be 100% authentic, right? Mm-hmm. And like, I don't ever want someone to think, well, she's totally sober and she did it. And I've been struggling to do it for five years. I want to kill myself because I got chronic pain. How come she could do it? And like, I couldn't. Yeah. I don't ever want to, anybody to look at me like I misrepresent yeah. something because I think it's really harmful. Yeah. Right? Um. So I feel like I owe people though. I feel like I have an obligation to people to like be 100% sober, yeah. even though my life is very manageable. My life is better now than it ever was. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think being able to come on and like tell people the truth. And like, I like to tell people too, not everybody had a dog. Dude, right. I, I, I found a really good dude that had... Similar morals. He had no drug issues, no mental health problems. Motherfucker was never abused as a child. Yeah. What's that like? Yeah. (laughs) What's that like? Yeah, people loved you, bro. They meant that shit. Yeah. (laughs) You mean like they they tell you they love you after they beat you, right? What do you mean? You never got hit? (laughs) Dang, you got a college fund? My dude. (laughs) White privilege in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Right. <laughs> Fucking, but he's right. a really good dude. He's a really solid dude. And like when we got together, he was willing, even before we were like completely together, he was willing to like just as a friend be there for me. And we get like while he was out to sea while I was in sober living. So we talked a lot, yeah. you know, f- through that and grew really close to each other. And I immediately moved in with him after I got done with. IOP, I had nowhere to go and I have any money and have anything, you know? So it's like summer of 2016. And uh, he was willing to basically do whatever he could to try to get me to be a normal human being, you know, because I had so much against me and there was really no way for me to move without somebody helping me somewhere along the line. And I think he felt like, dude, you did a lot to change. It would have been really easy for you to just continue to live how you were and get money from people and just keep going until you couldn't no more. 
you know, but like to, to reverse that shit, Uno reverse yeah. it, bro. Like yeah. when you're that far in the yeah. game, it's Shit's hard. hard. It's, it's hard. Really hard. And then you have to reverse the years of like the trauma that I've done to my body from having accidents and not taking care of myself and like having chronic mm -hmm. issues and inflammation and whatever. But, um, you know, D Doug having a six figure a year job, no kids, no debt and was willing to help me. Plus, he worked out to sea, right? So, like, the first three years of us being together, I was left alone three months at a time. So, after I got my license, I was able to finish my cosmetology license. The only reason why I did that was to finish it because the only thing I've ever finished in my life was a prison sentence. And I, I didn't realize it Come until on. I got sober. Yeah. That's the only thing. My ADHD yeah. goes hard, yeah. bro. <laughs> Like the only thing in my life I've ever completed the way it was supposed to be completed in its entirety, including high school. You yeah. know, I got I drew a scholarship. Bitch, I missed 135 days of school my senior year. Yeah. They couldn't prevent me from graduating because I had so many credits and I already had a scholarship before going into that year. Wow. You know what I mean? So I and I didn't walk. I didn't just didn't go. Yeah. I was in, ended up going to the hospital. But my, you know, like they brought me my diploma to the hospital. So like to me, I didn't complete it the way I was supposed to. I didn't go to fucking school my senior yeah. year like all the other normal people yeah. did i didn't either right i didn't either I didn't entitled bro i could go i yeah. could go once a week or once every two weeks and i can get the same grades as the people in class why should i have yeah. to go entitled yeah. <laughs> and it's finest yeah. and like the alcoholic drug addict ego rebuilds at alarming rate right like i'll get my ass kicked for a decade i have two or three good weeks it ain't that bad i see we, <laughs> we can handle this <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I got a month of sober and I got the answers to everything, <laughs> you know? Oh man. Um, yeah. but like, you know, for me, the, the, lot of the hope was in, in the rooms of recovery and it was with people that had been through the same things. But like I said, one of the most profound things I'd ever heard was the, a lot of people think the opposite of addiction is total abstinence. For me, I was never the social addict. I want to get my pills, go home and use and like do what I need to do around my house. Cause like, that's how pills started for me. Like I need to physically function today. I can't, I hurt, I'm sick. I don't know what's wrong with me. I need this pick me up to get out of the bed and do the shit that I need to do to be a normal human being to pretend. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was kind of the realm of how I always, that was what I always chased, even when it was no longer normal because yeah. I was sticking a needle in my neck. That was yeah. the feeling I was still chasing. Yeah. But for me, the opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. It's community. It's what we're Be all seeking. Right. Yeah. Because, and like, that is, I think, why my life has gotten profoundly better. I have a good connection and I have a healthy relationship with somebody that has like seen the worst in me. And like has seen me manic and seen me do crazy things mm -hmm. and is just like stable as can be. Mm -hmm. That's you the know? definition of recovery. You know, recovery, we, we mix up the, the definition of addiction with recovery. Yeah. Recovery is not addiction. Recovery is what we do with addiction. We, we re, recovery's definition is to return to a healthy state. Right. Of physical, mental, spiritual, yeah. emotional. It's all of these things in one. Addiction is what we have to break. Addiction is the disease. Recovery is our medicine that yeah. we use to cure that. 
Yeah. You know, we, yeah. we, we come back to a healthy state of a person, a, our mind, our spiritual, our emotional when we, and it's not that we have perfect balance, but we have it balanced. Yeah. You There's know, a girl in the rooms in Destin, and she always says, hi, I'm so-and-so, and, -so, and uh, I have recovered from a hopeless state of mind. Yeah. And, it, and sometimes she say hopeless state of mind and body, and that made sense to yeah. me. Things leveled out, you know? Yeah. But um, I think, too, like, you know, it, it was really the trifecta of the intervention with the treatment and the the break to see— because I really needed that break from my family and the, the environment mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to really have enough time. Because I still had withdrawal symptoms, you know, four months in. You know, I still had stomach issues. I was still kinking up real bad. Yeah. You know, sweating, weird for a long yeah. time. Um, I really don't think I got over it, like, solid completely until I was a year in. Um, and then I started to, like, really work on my body because I had done so much to work on the emotional side and the mm -hmm. trauma side. Um, but I just had a lot of support from the 12-step community and then from, you know, Doug. And then I had – Doug had the financial side. Like a lot of people come out of treatment, they don't have anything. No, they don't. So if you don't have family to help you or you don't have a great job or a yeah. pension or something you could cash in yeah. on – it's really hard. Yeah. And I try to tell people because a lot of people reach out to me and say, well, you did so much. You did all this. That wasn't just me. Right. Like people helped me, but I also did my part. I showed up. I asked people for help. I showed up when they offered help. I accepted help when they offered yeah. help. And then I in turn tried to help them and other people after that. Yeah. And I still do that to this day, even though it doesn't look the same as it did when I first got sober and was totally abstinent. Yeah. I think part of me helping people now is to spread the message of, hey, if you did your abstinent, your totally abstinent time, and that helped you to get healthier and get in a right frame of mind to make other decisions that are manageable, and for whatever reason, the benefits outweigh the thought of, is this medical marijuana, or is this an antidepressant, or is this an antipsychotic, or whatever, yeah. whatever it is. I'm not a doctor. I am a fellow person who struggled. I can only relate my experiences to you. And that is only how helpful I will ever be to you. Yeah. You know, I cannot give you information and answers to things I've never experienced. Mm -hmm. um, I can refer you to people I think may be able to help you, but like, it's a give and take, touch and go yeah. thing. And, you know, Always. do you understand what I'm Absolutely. saying? Always. I feel like I, as a Capricorn, I like to put people on pedestals. Yeah. And because I got ADHD, I got new favorite people. <laughs> yeah. And so like someone will say something smart and I'll be like, I fucks with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, and, I, and then I, I like start to think that their word is bond yeah. for everything and that I need to match my morals in my life up to what works for them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's interesting about alcoholics and addicts, too, is like a normal person, right, will change their lifestyle to match their goals. Yeah. Alcoholics and addicts, we change the goal to match the lifestyle. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I got to quit smoking weed if I want to work for the Pentagon. So I guess I'm just going to work for Walmart because yeah. fuck them. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and nothing wrong with working for them. Do you, do you yeah, understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, for so for life, what is life like now? I had a lot of growth. Um, you know, I started boxing. I started doing aerial silks. Um, I think a lot of my growth came from that because it's a physical. I'm, I really am an athlete at heart. I really mm -hmm. like 
to be challenged um, physically, and I like <laughs> to have that, I like, punch stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I started boxing again recently, and that made me super happy. The aerial silks, it's it's a performing thing, and it's a physical mm-hmm. um, exercise, and it's, it's pretty. It's almost like interpretive dance. So that, it makes me feel powerful. It makes me feel strong. And it's actually, I got into these because in sobriety, I wanted to kill myself before I started with the marijuana vape. So I did everything I could to feel better. I lost 70 pounds in like a six month period doing aerial silks and boxing and changing what I was eating because I felt physically so bad. And I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the doctor. Yeah. I got it because that's what my brain kept saying. Well, you know how to fix this. You don't feel good. We can make this shit go away. You won't yeah. feel it no more. You won't feel nothing no more, as a matter of fact. Right. Yeah. right. So, like, I had to combat that with something. And it turned into, like, a manic six months of just being crazy about the gym and focused on what I was eating. But I got through it in a healthy, healthier way than what I used to do. So, harm reduction has been a, a big you know, thing as well as the support system and yeah. having the freedom to be able to actually go to a doctor because I have insurance yeah. and to like to be able to drive myself somewhere yeah. because I have a driver's license yeah. and there's my, I have a bank account, you know what yeah. I mean? Um, it's, it's just wild. You know, um, I moved around a lot. I bought, uh, my husband and I bought six houses in five years in three different states. Wow. Um, and we were dumb. We lived in every single one of them. <laughs> and moved. Um, and this one has been my project. We gutted the house and I designed the house from the inside out. Um, That's fun. yeah, I reworked rooms, reworked, um, everything, tile, flooring, yeah. like literally everything has changed in there. So it's been like my project and it's, um, it's given me something to kind of like claim ownership to kind of like my art display with like my Halloween mm-hmm. decor and the, mm-hmm. Christmas decor, but I've also managed to get into TV and film. Um, we lived in Charleston before we lived in New Orleans. We were only there for like eight months, but I started modeling while I was out there and I'd always had like an interest in it as a mm-hmm. kid. And I kind of like what I'm doing now is that inner child is starting to heal. Yeah. And it's crazy because like it started out as kind of expensive, you know, and yeah. I never would have been able to afford that without you know, my husband being supportive of, Hey, I'm out to see whatever keeps you sane. Like you go do, yeah. uh, and cause if you're sane, when I get home, it's better for everybody. Yeah. And if you look better then that's better for everybody yeah. too, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, like I was able to get my teeth fixed, you know, I paid for that, but he showed me how to fill out the credit stuff, yeah. you know, cause I didn't know, you yeah. know? Um, there was just a lot of of things that I was able to do with the help of other people once I asked and was willing to accept the answers. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes that includes waiting, which is hard for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we want it right now. Yeah, bro. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I want it yesterday. And and I didn't think about it until today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> more. Um, but, uh, you know, the Charleston thing kind of opened doors for me because I – I started modeling. I got a little portfolio. So then when we moved here, I got discovered at my gym with London, with my four-year-old, who was two at the time. Um, and someone was like, hey, you should go work in TV and film. Do you have, have you ever done anything like that? I was like, well, I was a theater kid. But, uh, and I did some modeling, but I've never been in movies or commercials or anything. And they gave me a website and some contact information. Within a week later, I was on a BET TV show. Oh, wow. Uh, which is crazy. The yeah. first job I ever, ever um, auditioned for was that Super Bowl commercial. Okay. Um, 
And that was super cool. That ran last year. It yeah. was the uh, He Gets Us campaign. It was the, like the Jesus app. Right? Okay. People that did yeah. the Hobby Lobby. You only see me for a second, but I was in there. <laughs> <laughs> and that was cool. Like I've talked to people who are like, dude, that's a flex. Like I've been in the industry for six, seven years. I've never yeah. been invited to audition for a Super Bowl commercial. Never been selected. Never mind selected out of 3,000 people. Yeah. That's one of the five or seven or however. It was a very yeah. small amount of people that were selected as a primary for that. Did um, it pay? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what's up. Yeah, that was my escort money for like an hour. Or more. That was good money, but was, I was like, I even told him at the end. I said, "Do you pay me all that money for this?" And they were like, "You thought that was all that money? Hell yeah, dude! I cleared a thousand dollars in an hour, bro, yeah. to stand there and yell obscenities at somebody while making everybody else laugh, like." Yeah. <laughs> you sure you don't need me to like do a jig on the way out? Like, yeah. <laughs> I did um, a Blue Cross Blue Shield commercial where I was boxing. Yeah. That was cool. That's cool. That was a nice rude wake up because yeah. like I hadn't boxed since I got pregnant with my son uh -huh. and I was about to take a fight right before I got pregnant with my son. Yeah. Um, and between all the moving and raising a baby and Doug being gone and being here and then taking my brother's kids in and, I'd, uh, you know, Buying an RV and gutting a house and the storm that flooded the house that we were living in. Yeah. yeah. Just all the stuff and all the things, right? Yeah. Like the fact that I'm able to pursue the dreams that I had as a child that everybody told me I would never get anywhere in. And the first year, dude, I've been on probably seven or eight movies. Um Five TV shows, three documentaries, five podcasts, about to add two more in the next week. That's what's up. You know what I mean? Yeah. When my parents would look me in the face and tell me that nobody cared. Yeah. You know, and that I was never going to succeed um, in that. So, I, again, I before I was ever a drug addict, I adjusted my my dreams and my goals to align with what people said about me yeah. and what I thought was attainable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Instead of saying, Limits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Limit. So like, I guess for me this year is like, and like my, my main story is like, don't limit yourself. If you can't grow where you're at, then move. You know, um, I think that's, I'm trying to tell the kids that like the most, the best thing I ever did for myself was leave my town. Um, because, so. I think even if I hadn't had the history I had, I feel like like we were talking before, a lot of the people, y'all might hate on me for this, but I've always been real, so I'm going to say it. A lot of the people that when I was out there ripping and running, doing all that crazy stuff, letting men finance my drug problem for a night with me or an hour with me or whatever, the same people... That would tell me, oh, you need to get better. You don't, you don't deserve this. You could do so much better. Are the same people now that my life's getting good and it's a little better than they think it should be or they thought it ever would be, are the first ones to remind me Where of who get... I was and how bad it was yeah. and how stupid I looked. Yeah. So don't get too excited for my newfound yeah. success. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck <laughs> yeah. that's about. <laughs> yeah. But you can go get yours, homie. Yeah. If you need a reference, I got you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and like that's that's another thing too. So like back to like leaving people behind. I think that's one of those things that I have to learn in sobriety how to do. Mm -hmm. 
because I, I'm the type where I will try to pick you up to the point where you drag me down. And then I'm angry because both of us are sitting here looking at each other. And I'm like, I tried to help you. And you're saying, bitch, I told you I didn't want help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yep. Well, I guess you did. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know what I mean? So it's like, at what point do I realize, A, I'm only so powerful, right? And... Like, just as I'm responsible for my action, they're responsible for their inaction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can only show the way. Say and that like, again. Yeah, just as I am responsible for my action, someone else can be responsible for their inaction. Yeah. And you know what else I used <laughs> to say that was like, I think something that'll hit since we're talking about the stuff that like really works. You heard the thing about the three frogs? No. Okay, so three frogs are on a log. Two are comfortable. One decides he's going to jump off. How many log? How many frogs are on the log? None. <laughs> so you had three. So hold on, let's go back. So you had three. To, so you had three to start, right? Yeah. Two of them are comfortable. They decide they're going to stay. The third one decides, I don't like it up here. I'm not comfortable. I'm going to jump off. How many frogs do you have left on the log? Two. Three. You know why? The third one only made a decision to do something. He didn't take the action. I don't know how many times I made the decision to get sober and could not follow through long term on the action. And what follows that for me is like people always say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. Got one better for you, motherfuckers. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, knowing the result will be the same and not favorable, and you do that shit anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe. I know yeah. it ain't going to be just maybe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not the type of hope we're looking for over God. here, guys. Yeah. You know, but when, like, the way I see it is like, you know, I shied away from my story a lot because it was so graphic and because, like, I think it's different for people to physically watch it as, like, a show, as, like, a live mm -hmm. docudrama horror event mm -hmm. unfolding yep. than it is to—because I can tell you— looking like I am and sounding like I am and presenting like I am, that I did these things. And you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. But to see, see it. it and to see it presented because of, <clears throat> I work in TV and film and I knew this then, but I know it even more now. There is no such thing as something that is 100% not set up or introduced. Let's say that. Yeah. Because it's, I'm not saying that these things didn't transpire but what I am saying is that they'll say, well, hey, we want to show people how you have money today and you've got pills today. But we want to show people what you would do if you did it. Can you go get in something that looks different <laughs> than what you're in? And yeah. can you walk down the street? Because we can't show you driving because you ain't got no license, bitch. Yeah. So, but we can show you walking down the street and we can present it as if you're a streetwalker. And that you're doing this to go get your fix because you don't have any money, even though I had pills and that. You understand yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and it's like that with TV and film. But the fact that I get to be on the other side of it, because like, you know, part of why I shied away from it recent, like the past couple of years, nobody wants to be the intervention prison girl on the set of a TV show right. or a movie, right? Right. Saturday, nah, that ain't me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Like, we don't look the same at all. <laughs> but you know what I mean? I think there's 
there's power in that once you can get over the shame and the stigma, or once I, because I can only speak for myself, once I can get over the shame and the stigma, because shame is a is a big controller of my life, shame and guilt yeah. from me. Yeah, and that stigma um, is just as powerful. Yeah, and like once you're blackballed on set, bro, yeah. it's, it's I, I'm like yeah. nobody, you know what yeah. I mean? So like if big people can get blackballed for dumb stuff, for little things, yeah. like imagine what they can, you know, yeah. and nicks my career for it even gets off the ground, right. you know? But um, I feel like I'm very fortunate to be able to have had the type of healing and the type of support that I've had. I do get some weird stuff from people like reaching out, but most people see me and they have genuine questions um, or they have a family member or they're in the field and they want to understand um, or they are struggling and mm -hmm. they want to know, is this real? Did you really get sober for an amount of time? Did you really stop using pills? Yeah. Because a lot of people say they everybody else switched to heroin and they're dead. Um, or they're dying, or I don't know how to stop. My doctor doesn't give me enough. I'm scared. I'm sick all the time, you know? Yeah. And I hear it over and over. Yeah. And like, I, the only tools I have to give people are to listen and then to ask them, do you want me to like advise you and lay out steps of like how you could go about this? Or do you just want someone to listen and to vent to that has been there and won't judge you? Yeah. Because they might be two different answers. Yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. people just Absolutely. need someone to listen. They don't want to be told what to right. do because they're not ready to take the right. action like the frog. Absolutely. Absolutely. Damn. It's been a good podcast, bro. This is good. It's been a good episode. This is good. We've laughed. We've cried. Yeah. yeah. You've shared some really personal shit. Yeah. Which I I am that your whole story is amazing. I mean, it's it, it, a lot of what you shared. I know that there are people out there that are dying to hear this so that they can relate to it because you know it, it seems like it's not possible, but there are so many people out there just they feel like well, there's nobody out there that's going through the same shit that I'm going. Yeah, through. and there are there are so many people. I mean. I mean, I, I even shared on this podcast that I had never shared uh, out publicly really about me being a filthy junkie. Yeah. You know, sharing needles and going through and, and digging them out of the trash. Like, I remember one of my breaking points was I was working at an AT&T call center and I was I had been up for days and I was in the bathroom stall and I was just trying to get high because I kept falling asleep while I was on the phone, not knowing what the hell they were talking, the customers were talking about. And I just kept poking myself. And I was in there for three fucking hours and didn't know it. Really? And I could not find my okay. vein. And I've got veins for days, you know, yeah. but I was so dehydrated. Yeah, ain't drinking no water. It was just, it was over with. Yeah. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah. it, that was one of my moments. I was like, dude, I... What the fuck am I doing with my life? Like, I knew that I was better than this. I knew that my morals, I had some morals, but I didn't line up with it. Yeah. And I come to that point in my life where I was just like, fuck it. Like, how how else can I do this? And, and I yeah. didn't want to do it any other way. I wanted to shoot it. Yeah. You know, and that that needle, you know, and we, I've never touched on that really uh, on my on any of my podcasts is like that needle is addiction of itself. Yeah. That routine, that ritual. I saw people shoot water. Going, yeah. I never had a, that. I never yeah. had that. I was a type I've two. I've done it. Where like, yeah. so in treatment, I had a lot of people ask me, so what'd you do when you ran out of pills? What you mean? 
I mean, I was sick until some pills came through. Yeah. Whoa, you didn't drink, you didn't know. For what? Yeah. Bitch, I got a stomach problem. Yeah. I ain't I'm already puking and yeah. pooping everywhere. I ain't trying to make it worse. Right. I'm just waiting for some pills. Someone's yeah. gonna come through soon. You can believe yeah. that. <laughs> Dude, I wanted to get high so bad one day. I was in a hotel. Uh, don't even I probably scammed somebody to pay for it. But all we had was somebody brought smoke dope and they brought a bong over. And I shot bong water. And yeah. I got ended up getting cotton fever. I bet. And I was so lucky to fu- die. Oh my God, I felt like dying. I, I had bet. the worst headache, I had fever. I was dude, it was so bad. I've had cotton fever a couple times. Dude, the only awful. way I was ever able to get rid of it is another hit. Another, and what yeah. sucks is because I'm always I yeah. do it all at once. Yeah. I might have dude. a wash left. It was horrible. It was horrible. But like we share we share that to to prove that we do recover. Yeah. That we do break out of that addiction. That the addiction is it might be a lifelong disease. Like I know that I can relapse and fuck my life plumb off immediately, but I know that with my recovery and the pathways that I have to that recovery, I use them, I utilize them, and I don't do this shit alone. Like, I use so many different people. I have so many different people in my life that I can reach out to if anything ever goes goes south. Right. Like, I am not afraid to reach out. Yeah, to use that phone. Yeah, and you have to. Like, that is, that, I mean, just like you, you had, you didn't do this shit alone. No. I didn't do this shit alone. Yeah. And so we have to, we have to recover together. We don't isolate and do it ourselves. Cover together or die yeah, alone. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Ginger, I am so glad you came on the phone. Go ahead. Oh, I got, so listen, I want to end on a lighter note. So I want, yes. I got two things that I want to do. So Ian was asked me to do the rap about the officer. Yes. And I, I was, I'm not, wasn't going to do it. I want to do the rap about Bebop, which is what started the Slim Shady thing. Okay. And he wouldn't let me. So I want to do fucking get the it. Bebop. Okay. Get and it. Now remember, I am not a rapper. I wrote <laughs> this like 12 years ago okay i'm yeah. not a rapper it was never supposed to be rap it was supposed to be funny okay <laughs> keep that in mind okay and the and again the premise for those that don't know there was this girl that was probably 300 pounds five foot two and she had a t- tattoo of a trailer on her arm uh, like a trailer like a house trailer <laughs> and it says straight out the park or straight out the trailer yeah. park do you know how hard you got to ride for the trailer park to have a fucking tattoo of it? Either way, she had a song where all she rapped about was tricking. And this is before, you know, so maybe my karma yeah. was, you know, me, uh, you know, zeroing in on this and making fun of that. But it was like an anthem. It wasn't like she was talking about how bad it was. She was talking like it was the best thing ever to make yeah. 20 bucks doing that. Yeah. So I was like, we can't. Because she said she was repping for the white girls. Yeah. You know? And she was doing a white girl. I was yeah. like, bro, no. we can't have that. <laughs> we're not doing that here. Yeah. And some other girls in the dorm were trying to like write something that would shut her down. Yeah. And they were like, oh, no, bebop slow. She can't flow. She gots to go. Shut up. You ain't no better. <laughs> So this is what came of it. All right. And, okay. Let's do it. All right. Do we need to put edit it in a beat to go over nah, this? Nah, because okay. there was no beat then. Okay, so. no beat now. And again, it's a limerick, so <laughs> it's right. more of like a poem that's funny. Okay. 
Bitch, you think you hard. Fuck with me and you will be scarred. He said you was tricking on the low. If I was that dude, I'd boot you out the back door. You think your flow is tight, you need to sit your ass down, bitch. Get your head right. B-E-cuz, I'll spit circles around your ass. You need to put the crack down and just stick to the grass. You think I'm playing in this bitch? Talk to your customers, they say you got that itch. This is all about the game. Fucking with me, you will not get the fame that you trying to proclaim. You need to calm your ass down so people think that you sane. I'm saying your shit is lame. I'll take your baby daddy and I'll make that dude tame. You said that you thought that he was creeping because he was with me every night and on the weekend. So before you step to me, you better check yourself, chick, and know who you be. Verse two, you know, I walk with a limp. I talked to your man and he said, I talked to my man and he said he was your pimp. He took all your money and spent it on me. Oh, by the way, thanks for the gifts under my Christmas tree. He said after you, he had to shut the business down. Your white customers complain that you turn their white brown. You know, we get a, we know you get around because these dudes done spread your business all over town. They talk from Miami to LA about your business and they claim that you say, give me a dollar and just send me on my way. And you know that they do after he and his boys are ran a train on you. So just remember this. Keep your mouth closed if you come with that diss. And now it's about time. So let's get her done and we'll wrap up this rhyme. But, uh... Oh, that's it. I forgot the end. It's like it's something like uh, check yourself, bitch. You know who you be. Uh, keep, remember something, the white girl from the south. I don't know. I remember most of it. It's like yeah, twelve years old. So the fact up. that I remember that shit because it, I had to do it so often yeah. because like people start asking for it, and then. She cried after I did, because I thought we were on 8 Mile, bro. I saw that movie. <laughs> you say some shit talking crap about me. I say some shit talking crap yeah. about you, and then they vote and tell us who's the best. <laughs> but we don't, it don't matter if we mean it or not. Yeah. Like, so I was just trying to do what I thought she was going to do. Yeah. No, I ain't never been in no rap battle, you know what I mean? Look at me. <laughs> you know? But uh, she cried and told me that I had a horrible mouth, and I was basically a terrible human being, and that I sounded like the sergeant that cussed at everybody and everybody hated because yeah. he was like hey motherfucker you fucking retard the fuck are you doing so I was like okay you want me to make fun of myself because she was like you guys would be perfect for each other why don't you write a rap about that and then the thing about the sergeant was born and then Ginger went did con confinement for 87 days under investigation <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it turned into a big thing there were officers that would get in the tower when they would see me walking down the compound would be like, they'd get on the tower and went ha 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 because I laugh at everything because yeah. what else can you do I'm in fucking prison I can't do shit else about it yeah. start getting loud y'all talk about spraying me you know what I mean like I'm just like this yeah. but um <laughs> but yeah like it turned into this big thing the cards would get on the tower and would go ha, 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 I'm in love with sergeant blah 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 yeah. we got a house on the hill so it turned into like this thing that had traction. Then he would like point me out when like I'd be on the compound. He'd be talking. No, that's her. That that one. That one. Not the, not that one. That one. Bro, you're stupider than I was, homie. Like, and I was new. Like I didn't. Yeah. I never did jail time. Yeah. I was sentenced on Tuesday and was in prison Thursday night. So I didn't. I was in segregation the first two days and then was just put into a normal GP and was fucking. Still detoxing, but still on pills, you know, right. trying to, like, stabilize, yeah. you know? So I wasn't, you know what I mean? I wasn't there. Yeah. If I had learned anything in that one day, I don't remember it at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to learn, like, all the the etiquette of prison right. in prison. Which is a whole Yeah, a it's whole a whole another, different thing, yeah. you know? Yeah. And you're dealing with people that have been there a long time, whereas county, you're in and out, you know? Yeah. So, okay, so the other thing. 
is this. So, so what is that? That's a nice heart, right? Yeah. All right. Show it to the camera. Can it see it? Can you see that? Can you see it? Can yep. you see it? See it. All right. So, you're stupid. You're fat. You'll never reach your goals. Trauma. Oh, what else? Uh, addiction. Sexual abuse. What's happening? You're crumbling. Okay. Let's keep going. Prison. Uh, abandonment issues. Physical abuse. You're released. You're, you're, you're let go, you know, you're, or he doesn't maybe, you know, because you could apply this to a lot of things, right? Yeah. Being released from prison, being released from your drug addiction, being released from alcoholism, sex addict, whatever it is that you're struggling with that caused, this is what caused it. And this is your heart, right? You know, this is me and you're you and you come in and like, you know, I like you. You've got something I want. I want to have a life with you. I'm going to give you that. What the fuck is that? Yeah. You know, I mean. It's pieces. It's, yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's my whole heart, though. Yeah. Like, my whole heart's there. You just can't see it because of the damage and the abuse that it's taken because I have allowed that in my life. So now I have a broken heart that I'm trying to give to people and they think I'm not a complete person. I love that you said what you said because that was what I was wanting you yeah. to say. It's, it's, not, it's not, this ain't a full heart, but it is. You just can't see that because of what I've been through, right? But if you're willing to accept that it's busted, but it's still a whole heart and well, maybe we could take some time and put this back together. Yeah. You never get the person that you would have been without the experiences, right? Right. But maybe, just maybe, you can build bonds with people and you can help other people by saying, my heart may not be perfect, but it's complete, yeah. you know? And like, I'm doing what I can now to make sure that the people that give me their hearts, I don't do this to. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was thinking about, I just saw these in the airport and I I don't know why that came into my head, but I was like, I feel like it's a good visual tool. Yeah. You can't take back the things that you do and the things that you say, right? We can't take it back. The Whatever we do, no. whatever we put out into the world, it, it goes out and it, it does what it does and it has its effects and it has its consequences. So the only thing that I as a broken person or I as someone that has broken someone else, because even good people that never have drug addictions or never have problems right. break people in one way or another, whether yeah. they ever know it or not. Yeah. The best thing that I can do now is be aware that this is delicate, it's important, and that it is my responsibility to do the best with it that I, that I can because my heart is my heart. And if this is a heart that someone else gave to me, they gave it to me and I accepted it. Yeah. So like, where is your responsibility yeah. in that? Does yeah. that make sense? You're yeah. not responsible to fix them, no. but you're, res you're responsible to, to yeah. And to yeah. not continue to do any more damage. Yeah. So if I leave y'all with anything, let it be that like, 
You know, we're all broken in some ways, right? But if you find someone that's willing to accept the brokenness and help you piece it back together and not break it anymore, dude, that's your person. Yeah. You know, that's, that's your rider. Yeah. That's and you awesome. need to be whatever, whatever it is you want in a relationship, you need to be before you start seeking it in other people. Yeah. Damn. Otherwise, you break that. Damn. You did that. Yeah. I dropped the mic, yeah. but I don't. <laughs> yeah. You did that. That was beautiful. That was a very good illustration. I'm going to eat this broken cookie. That was a great cookie. illustration. <laughs> yeah. Now you won't eat that cookie. I'm going to eat that cookie. <laughs> <laughs> This is good, man. It's fun. I'm glad we did this. Thank you so much. Thank you for traveling and doing that and and taking your time to do this. I think you you told an amazing story today. It's going to help a lot of people. Uh, I love the illustration. Um, You're a beautiful person. Uh, you are, you're beautiful. Your, your mind and your heart and your spirit is absolutely pleasant to be around. And, and you are definitely sending a message of hope. Thank you so much, Ginger. Thanks, man. I feel like you're doing the same thing, you know, like, you know, uh, if I spot it, I got it right. You know, so like, and I reached out to you, Absolutely. you know, you had something that I felt like (laughs) was worth meet invest in my time and yeah. my money and my energy into being a part of yeah so that's a big deal just keep doing what you're doing thank you so much thank you yep. y'all have a great night thank you for tuning in